Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. So glad to be here with you and glad that you are here with me and all of us here at Light of the East. And there's still time today for you to polka with us at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. That's right. Today is our third and final day of our Great Prairie Fest, our annual event. And today it's polka all afternoon, all the way till the late afternoon, almost early evening. And then Harvest Moon takes over our American Roots music. Lots of fun. But if you want to polka, there's still time. After you hear the program, though, on your way, as you're listening to the program in your car, you can come to Annunciation Church and polka with us this afternoon. I'd like to say hello to some of our listeners, Marilyn Borsick from Lakewood, Ohio in particular, and also Peter from St. Louis. I just got a nice letter from him. He said, I am writing to you to let you know that I really enjoyed the most recent episode of Light of the East when you talked with Anastasia about the International Theological Institute in Austria. It was my favorite episode so far. Many Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, know very little about their faith and its foundation, so I'm very happy that places like the International Theological Institute exist to teach Eastern Catholics about their faith and heritage. With more knowledge and understanding, perhaps we shall one day realize the goal of reuniting all of Christianity. On a side note, Light of the East has been a very entertaining and informative show for me since I discovered it on the radio. And on the side note, if you ever go to St. Louis, I recommend it highly. There are many beautiful churches there, including the Basilica. The St. Louis Basilica is the most beautiful church I have ever seen. And I say that having personally seen the Notre Dame Cathedral and other great churches as well. So I want to thank Peter for his wonderful letter, a very kind letter. Thank you, Peter, and good luck to you in St. Louis. And maybe someday I will run into you there. I have seen the Basilica in St. Louis. It is very, very beautiful. This week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have a magnificent feast. It is also a feast, of course, shared by the Western Lung of the Church, in the Eastern Church, a Byzantine calendar, we do celebrate it on the 15th of August, which is the Dormition, or known in the West as the Assumption of the Mother of God, a grand feast for which we've been actually fasting. As you know, if you've listened to this program, our build-up, our preparation for any great feast is always a kind of a cleaning house, spiritually and physically. So we pray, we fast, we do more charity in preparation for a great feast, kind of like a Lent. We have four basically Lenten-type periods in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and this is one of them leading up to the Feast of the Dormition. Magnificent, beautiful feast. One of our customs is to bring flowers and herbs from our gardens to the church in which they are blessed, and then people take them home. It's kind of a reminder, a sacramental. We do all those kind of neat things in the church, both east and west. 
They're sometimes referred to as sacramentals. In other words, they're physical things that connect our experience of liturgy, that transcendent eschatological mystical experience of Eucharist and liturgy with our everyday life, as John Chrysostom would call it, the domestic church. And one of those connecting links are the things that we bring to church and then they are blessed and they're brought back into the homes. And believe me, when you do that, like for instance, we bless fruit, we bless flowers, a number of things that we bless, things that we bring to church and then take back home or having been blessed. When you do that, those items really do become special. They really do connect you in a physical way. They really do make the invisible God visible. So our custom to bless flowers and herbs on the Feast of the Dormition, the Byzantine Catholic Church. This is one of those programs where it's kind of like, remember, have the, did you ever have that experience where someone says to you, you know, you always this or that. They might accuse you of something to be angry and they, they use a kind of a superlative like that. You know, you always, and then if you're kind of restrained enough, you might kind of give a little wink of the eye and say, well, now, do you really mean, is it really true that I always do that? And sometimes that can disarm that person. Well, not exactly. Can I calm it down a bit? Well, that's kind of like what today's program is, kind of like a a little wink in the eye whenever we're maybe challenging something. And what we're going to do is going to look at, by means of an article, about maybe the points of tension between East and West. And it has to do with basically a matter of being honest, kind of holding each other to a certain honesty about our histories, about what's happened between East and West. Because as we do that, as we kind of give each other that wink and eye and say, well, now, really, now, let's be a little more honest here, we do grow closer together. And that is, of course, very much the mission, the point of this program, Light of the East, is to unite East and West. West, to certainly present the riches of the church, East and West, in particular, of course, the Eastern churches, but with the eye of uniting the church, just as we heard in Peter's letter today, where he said, if we learn more about each other and learn more theology, we can work towards unity among Christians. The article that we're going to use for our kind of giving each other a little little wink and holding each other honest, East and West, is by Charles A. Columba. I think that's pronounced correctly. It's spelled, his last name is spelled C-O-U-L-O-M-B-E. He's a former contributing editor of the National Catholic Register. He has written extensively on a wide variety of topics for the Catholic and secular press. He's editor of the book, The Muse in the Bottle, Great Writers and the Joys of Drinking, Citadel Press, 2002, and author of the newly released book, Vicars of Christ, A History of the Popes, again, Citadel Press, 2003. And this article comes to us this year, 2013, from Trinity Communications. You can also find it on catholicculture.org. The title of the article by Charles Columba is called Looking Eastward. And what he's doing, he's, he's a Latin Rite Catholic. He grew up with a certain familiarity, especially when he was a teenager, with the Eastern churches. And he's looking at some of the differences between the East and West. In other words, the things that still kind of divide us. And with an eye of looking at each other more honestly in terms of our history. In other words, where we're both kind of guilty, if you want to use that word, (laughs) of contributing towards this disunity and where we need to be more honest about it. In his article, Peter writes this, It has struck me that ecumenism, properly defined, must have the reconciliation of the entire East with Rome as its aim. Whatever one thinks of the gatherings at Assisi and such like doings, one can only applaud John Paul II's efforts in this regard. Certainly relations between Rome and certain of the Eastern patriarchates have never been so warm. The handing over of churches in Rome and Ravenna to the Patriarch of Constantinople were noble gestures to be sure. Certainly the Pope's 1999 visit to Romania was an unmitigated triumph. 
So what he's saying here is that there has been, of course, major strides, especially in recent history with John Paul II. But the facts of our histories, in which if we're more honest about it, East and West, and that's always been my point, too, with ecumenism, we have to be very honest, very compassionate and forgiving of each other, but at the same time very honest. So Charles writes this. He says, but one grave risk in this ecumenism is the apparent betrayal of the Eastern Catholics, best known in the West as uniates the heirs of past partial reunions. These folks have withstood much oppression at the hands of communists and orthodox. In Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, they still face harassment. But worse still is harassment at the hands of the clergy, something their Latin brothers are familiar with. In days gone by, this consisted of forced Latinization. So bad did this become that successive pontiffs, starting with Benedict XIV, forbade it under pain of excommunication. Today, however, hapless Eastern layfolk in many places face just as odious a forced delatinization. Now, he brings up a very interesting point with that word delatinization. Okay, first of all, what he's laying down is that the Eastern Catholic churches, those aspects of the Orthodox churches that reunited with Rome and Rome with them, starting usually in about 15th and 16th centuries, they underwent a kind of a latinization. In other words, they needed to be accepted. And also certain Latinizations were imposed upon them. And this has been a specific struggle of all the Eastern Catholic churches. In fact, the Second Vatican Council, there was a whole section dedicated to the Eastern churches. And one of the main points of that section was to call the Eastern churches back to their original identities. In other words, to shed all of the Latinizations that were imposed upon them, but which they accepted out of their own sense of inferiority. So that's kind of a black mark on the history of the church in relations east and west, the so-called Latinizations. But Charles is making an interesting point here about the de-Latinizers. He says here the problem is twofold. One is that often enough the practices under attack were adopted at lay insistence precisely to show their allegiance to Rome. More deeply, they answered a religious need in the given people. Corpus Christi became popular in the Latin West precisely because the devotion of the people and the realization of the Blessed Sacrament demanded it. So it has happened among those Byzantines who adopted it. To take it from them is clerical hubris of the worst sort. Moreover, the sharing of liturgical and devotional customs, when it is a natural process, inevitably happens among different rites that are in communion with one another. One thinks of how impoverished the Latin rite would be if it deposed of the Kyrie and the Agios Otheos of the Good Friday service, and the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption, purely because of their Eastern origins. Their incorporation into the religious life of the West came about because they answered a devotional need. So, too, Orthodox prized the liturgy of the pre-sanctified, even though it was composed by Pope St. Gregory the Great. We're going to talk more about this interesting slant on ecumenism that is brought up by Charles Columbi in his article. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest 2013. You'll find food, fun, games, plus three days of nonstop live music. Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 9th through the 11th. Friday night, August 9th, it's Maggie Speaks. When I hate you to myself, didn't want you 
Saturday, August 10th at 1 o'clock, a battle of the bands. Then at 5, the Rhythm Method at 7.30. Prairie Fest welcomes the legendary Emidar Rush. Rock and roll, Chicago! Then, Sunday morning, August 11th at 11, Polka with the world-famous Eddie Carosa Jr., followed by the Polka Generations Band, and then Harvest Moon. Prairie Fest is located at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Visit ByzantineCatholic.com, ByzantineCatholic.com. For details and directions to Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 9th through the 11th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East the Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host. I also want to direct your attention to an upcoming pilgrimage, which you've heard about here in Light of the East, the 79th Annual Pilgrimage in Honor of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, August 31st to September 1st, 2013. Now, that's a Friday to Sunday. It's sponsored by the Sisters of St. Basil the Great in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. A marvelous, beautiful place, a great gathering of Eastern Catholics and also Western Catholics as well. To find out more about that, go to this website, sistersofstbasil.org, sistersofstbasil.org. I'll be out there, so I do hope to see you there. You should come try it out. It's a beautiful place, a very, very prayerful place, big annual event for our church at Mount St. Macrina, beautiful Mount St. Macrina in the hills of southwestern Pennsylvania, right near the West Virginia border. Beautiful place and a very, very holy mountain. The Sisters of St. Basil annual pilgrimage. Go to sistersofstbasil.org. And again, that's August 31st to September 1st. We were talking about an interesting article that is bringing up some of the tensions with a kind of a an eye of holding each other to a certain honesty. I'm calling it on our program today, kind of a winking at each other, kind of giving each other a little wink in the eye and say, now, come on now, you know, let's be a little more honest. Because it's a good way of, calming hurts, inspiring forgiveness, and better dialogue so as to bring about that unity between East and West. Now, we left off with the author here, Charles Columbi, saying that there were Latinizations, but also there were devotions picked up by Eastern Catholics for a number of reasons, some of which had to do with their historical circumstances. For instance, my own church in Central Europe was oppressed, it was liquidated, had to go underground. So it didn't even have access to some of its own devotions. The Latin Rite Church was less oppressed in that area, and so the only devotions they could really get their hands on or be exposed to many in many ways were Latin Rite devotions. So they did feel a, a certain need. Now, the author is bringing up something that could be considered rather controversial, and that's one of the reasons I'm bringing it up, because I think it's, it's interesting to look at, to think about. It's kind of controversial in that we recall these Eastern Catholic churches to rid ourselves of Latinizations, and here he's making a certain case that we have to be careful or maybe not even necessarily take away all of that, because he's making the point here that even the West shares some influences from the East. 
So it's an interesting point, I think one that does have to be considered in all discussions on ecumenism. Now he also says here, and he's very frank in his article, so <laughs> he says here, most obnoxiously, however, there has been little outcry among Catholic anti-Latinizers against attempts in North American Byzantine circles to impose lay Eucharistic ministers and female lectors and altar servers. To date, these have foundered upon lay opposition and little else. The turning around of altars in American Eastern Catholic churches can be placed in the same file. Now, some of this is rather surprising and is actually kind of disturbing because those things have absolutely no place in the Eastern churches, certainly not in the Byzantine churches. And what the author is saying here in this article is that, boy, while we're making outcries against certain Latinizations, there isn't enough about those types of things. But then he says, what about the Orthodox themselves, for whom so much is being done? Well, it must be said of their clergy that a more argumentative bunch would be hard to find. Now, again, this is not the comments of Light of the East. This is an author who has, I thought, had a rather thought-provoking article that's good for discussion. He says, as a rule, Orthodox clerics are quite ingenious for finding causes for battle. They will inevitably speak of a deep-seated unity among them which transcends the need for structural unity, as evidenced under the papal tyranny, quote-unquote. But their squabbles are dizzying. Old calendarist versus new calendarist. ROCAR versus OCA, in other words, R-O-C-O-R, which stands for the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia versus the Orthodox Churches of America. Different jurisdictions abbreviated ROCAR or OCA. Constantinople versus Moscow, most recently over Estonia, to name a few. When one brings up questions of nationality, it gets frightening indeed. Macedonian Orthodox are recognized by a few other Orthodox churches. The Greek Orthodox in Albania struggle against the Albanian Orthodox. In Ukraine and Belarus, one finds a three-sided struggle between autonomist, autocephalist, and Muscovites. And the existence of Ukrainian and Belarus Byzantine Catholics complicates things further. The Orthodox clergy will claim an unchanging adherence to the Church Fathers, eschewing all post-schism doctrinal development in the West as innovation. But many, if not most, tend not to equate orthodoxy with the post-schism teachings of St. Gregory Palamas, a 14th century theologian. His speculations on the nature of grace and the light of Mount Tabor, as well as his system of hesychism, have achieved quasi-dogmatic status in the East. I just want to comment on that a little bit. St. Gregory Palamas has become very, I'd say, revered or certainly popular in the Eastern churches, both Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. But the West doesn't entirely accept him. Again, he was a 14th century, so he's long after the break between East and West. And one of the things that he was a part of was called this hesychism, which the best way maybe to translate that is a spirituality of silence. But there's one very valuable thing that came out of the hesychist and Gregory Palamist kind of genre, and it's interesting in regard to this current pope. It's called the Jesus Prayer. And recently, there was a beautiful picture of Pope Francis. I believe it happened at World Youth Day. And he's pointing to the heavens, and he's saying something. It's really a, quite a triumphant, magnificent shot of him. And because his hand is outstretched, his sleeve drops down a little bit. And as it does in this photo, it exposes his wrist. And around his wrist, very obviously, and much to the glee of Eastern Catholics and Orthodox, hopefully, is a chutki. In other words, a Jesus rope, a Jesus prayer rope which is a great tradition in the East and was certainly part of the Hesychist spiritual tradition in the East. So Pope Francis is seen in this photograph, very evident, wearing a chutki, which is the Jesus prayer, meaning 
where we say over and over again, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is said over and over again as a deep, deep focus in meditation, a deep, mystical, prayerful union with Christ. A very, very powerful and popular, very serious devotion in the Eastern churches. And it uses a rope, as I mentioned, which is something like a rosary. In fact, many scholars believe that the rosary came out of a very similar tradition as the Jesus prayer. They're both very, very similar. It's a rope, in other words, a number of beads. Only in the Eastern church, that rope is usually traditionally made of one cord. And the rope is wound in such a way as to make these different beads or knots. They call them really knots. At the end of the whole rope, which again looks like a rosary, is a cross. Again, it's all woven. And the end of the cross, are the, the threads are allowed to be kind of fuzzy. And the meaning for this is that this ending with the fuzzy threads is very, very amenable to wiping tears from one's face. The tears that supposedly come from praying the Jesus prayer very devoutly and sincerely because it's a deep prayer of repentance. In other words, we're moved to tears at our sinfulness. Well, lots to say, well, we'll dedicate a whole program to the Jesus Prayer on another occasion, but I thought that was rather interesting, especially in light of this article. Now, okay, we'll get back to our article now by Charles Columbia, talking about kind of holding each other to a certain historical honesty between East and West. And again, he's kind of a hard hitter in this article, and I'm reading from the article. The article does not necessarily express what we believe or think here on Light of the East, but it is very good for for thought and discussion. He says, married to this poor theological background, and he's referring to the, a lot of the Orthodox, is even poor historical knowledge. Every Orthodox priest I have ever contended with has brought up the sack of Constantinople by Western Crusaders in 1203. Almost to a man, however, they have been ignorant of the subsequent excommunication of leaders of that expedition by Innocent III, you know, the Pope. No Catholic will deny the grievances suffered by Easterners at the hands of Latins. But amnesia engulfs the Orthodox mind with regard to the reverse. None, for example, seem to remember the kidnapping and abuse of two popes by Emperor Justinian, a saint in their calendar. By the same token, they do not remember that monarch seeking forgiveness and subscribing to papal primacy. Equally glossed over is the bloody, forced incorporation of Byzantine Catholics into the Orthodox Church by Tsar Nicholas I and Stalin. The Orthodox, despite their professed hatred of the latter, have been extremely reluctant to return the churches that Stalin stole. Nor, although they have canonized them, do they recall the acceptance of that primacy by Constantine XII, last emperor of the East, or the papal opponents played in weakening Constantine's position in the face of the Turkish menace. One recalls the Grand Admiral of the Empire, Lucas Ndotaris, who declared that he preferred the turban of the Sultan to the terror of the Pope. He must have recalled his words bitterly when the conquering Sultan Muhammad ordered him to present his sons as concubines. Refusing, Notaris was forced to watch their execution before being put to death himself. We're going to talk a little bit more about this article because there's more to it. But the point here and what, what I want you to take away, and it's very important as you've listened to this program and today, and especially to this particular article, because it is rather hard-hitting, but it's good for discussion, good honest discussion. Again, like I said, that sort of that wink of honesty, holding each other to honesty, East and West, is that, yes, both East and West have to make sure they always own up to what were the dark spots in their history in relation to one another, but they have to be absolutely honest about it. And then that helps to engender forgiveness. You know, compassion, forgiveness is always a function of truth. And if we can be truthful, forgiving, and compassionate, we can in fact work 
towards that unity of the whole church, which is the very mission of this program. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. again. For the first time. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>